table um, outside. Uh, so there's some wonderful Christmas um, books for kids. Uh, there's great titles there. So please make your way after the service. Please buy your child um, a gift. Uh, give them a, uh, the gift of the Christmas story. So this one speaks about the coming king, the promised king. Uh, so please, and it's what I like about these books by a good book company is that they diverse in the kind of people they put in here, the pictures. Uh, so I love that. Uh, so please make your way uh, to, the, uh, uh, to the book table out there. Later on, I'm going to read from uh, Philippians chapter 2. If you do have your Bibles, please turn there. That's where we're going to spend our time um, together this morning. I really want to think with us this morning briefly about uh, the difference that Jesus makes, or rather the difference uh, that Christmas makes. Uh, so after all the singing, uh, after all the rejoicing, uh, we have to ask ourselves the question, what does, what it, does boil it boil down, down, down to? Down, down, down. Uh, what does Christmas boil down to? Uh, for you, maybe you grew up and you used to celebrate Christmas uh, with these beautiful things um, called gifts. Now, I'm sure you're wondering what's in here. I'm going to just open that. Do you remember the excitement you had on the Christmas morning uh, as you were thinking through what you have in store for this, this Christmas? <laughs> I'm sure that covers most of the room, right? Some of us were excited about uh, the gifts. Most of us who lived on the other side uh, rejoiced at the prospect of having choice assorted biscuits um, at, uh, at Christmas. Some of us, when other kids were decorating their trees uh, and looking forward to those presents as they wrote uh, uh, their letters to Santa... Uh, we were out going to town shopping for new Christmas clothes, and that was Christmas uh, for us. Uh, I wonder what it was like for you. Uh, perhaps you lived in the northern suburbs of Joburg, uh, and you were all about the trees and the lights and the decos, and Christmas was just a, uh, a fun time for you. Maybe, maybe it was all about this uh, for you. Uh, personally, uh, we would go to church in the morning, uh, and then come back uh, to a feast. Uh, and then people will come in and out of the house, coming to, I don't know if they're, they're saying, they're asking for Christmas goodies. Uh, so it was just a, a fun uh, time of sharing together and rejoicing at Christmas. Maybe you came from uh, the, the, the East End, and for you it was all about the gammon and the clippies and collar uh, for refreshments. If you find that offensive, you can just email me uh, at roydenf at, <laughs> at, at christchurchmidrand.co.za. Um, but here's the thing. Uh, here's the thing. Whether you grew up in Santin or Soweto, uh, whether it was uh, Randberg or Randfontein, wherever you found yourself, Christmas was a big thing. And if we were to be honest, really, the excitement wasn't so much on Jesus. Uh, it was on the traditions surrounding, surrounding Christmas, wasn't it? Uh, we were excited about those presents, but Jesus was somewhere at, at the back of my mind. Uh, even though we went to church in the morning, Jesus was not at the center of uh, Christmas. 
Uh, but what if, what if we were to put, put him front of mind this morning uh, as we get into his word to really think about the difference that Christmas brings to our lives uh, sitting here this morning. Uh, because whether we do like it or not, uh, Jesus is the most important figure of Christmas uh, and of all of human history. A magazine in 1999, uh, some of you were not born back then, um, writes an article called 2,000 Years of Jesus. And they were in this uh, article reflecting back on uh, the last uh, couple of years uh, since Jesus uh, came into this world. So 2,000 Years uh, of Jesus. And this is what they had to say. This is a secular magazine, by the way. Just about any and everything in Western civilization which has impacted most of our, our world. Now just think about who we're talking about here. This regular preacher from Palestine uh, who never had a university degree, worked as a carpenter. Uh, I wonder if he came here this morning, if he would even fit in into our, our church. I wonder if Jesus w- would fit in here this morning because in many ways he was unimpressive Never been to Rustenburg. <laughs> he died with no friends. Uh, and just after his resurrection, only about 11 guys and a few women worshipped him as king. Yet 2,000 years later, uh, almost, almost the third of the world's population worships this guy as king. The article goes on to say, Art and science, the self and society, politics, and economics, marriage and the family, right and wrong, body and soul, all have been touched and often radically transformed by Christian influence. Seldom, all at once, of course, and not always for the better. Uh, So they're talking about the impact Jesus has had uh, in history. And I wonder if we were to put it to you this morning, would that be true of you, uh, that Jesus has radically touched, radically transformed your life? Uh, Does Jesus make any difference in your life? And that's what we want to think about uh, this morning. We want to think about this Christian story that a virgin gave birth to a man who came into this world, lived a perfect life, uh, a sinless life, that he died on a Roman cross uh, that he resurrected. He came back to life. Can you believe that? Came back to life and totally radically transformed life, uh, the life of those who worshipped him as king. If that is true, uh, that, that, that should shape our, our lives here in Midrand under level one lockdown with the fourth wave of the coronavirus looming on us. It should totally, radically transform our lives. Uh, this morning we want to think about uh, the difference that Jesus makes. And for us to do that, I hope you still have Philippians open. We're looking at Philippians chapter two, and this is a small uh, piece of letter uh, that Paul uh, the most influential um, Christian um, in the early church, he wrote this letter to this group of guys who had become Jesus' followers. And he wanted them to come to realize that Jesus changes everything uh, about their lives. He changes everything. He changes their outlook on life. 
uh, their outlook on suffering. These guys were facing pressures from the outside and from the inside as they were fighting amongst each other. And he wants them to realize uh, that Jesus transforms all of that. And in this particular section that we're going to read in chapter 2, this is the section that holds everything in Philippians together. Uh, What Paul says here about the Christian life, or rather about Jesus, is the hub of all that he encourages the Christians uh, to do. So in other words, um, who God is in Philippians and what God has done changes who Christians are and what Christians do. Let me say that again. Who God is in Philippians, especially as we see him in the person of Jesus Christ, and what God has done in Jesus changes who Christians are. That is you this morning if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus. He changes who we are and what we do. That is the story of uh, the Christian faith. And that is what uh, Philippians 2 uh, is calling us to. So let's dive into chapter 2, verse 5 to 11. This is what Paul says to the Christians. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Verse 6, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Verse 7, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Verse 9, therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Uh, So Paul uh, quotes this hymn. This is called the Christ hymn. It was probably sang in the early church. He quoted Uh, to these Christians, to remind them of who God is, that God took on human flesh uh, so that uh, he would humble himself uh, to die on a cross for sinners like you and me. But uh, he was exalted uh, to the place of highest authority. Now, this hymn right here is one of the most richest uh, theological, uh, deep um, uh, summaries of the Christian faith. Uh, And it's been subject to many debates, and we don't have time to uh, dive into those debates this morning. But we need to focus in on what Paul is trying to do uh, right here, as he reminds us of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. What is Paul doing? Well, he's been saying to them uh, back in chapter 1, so chapter 1 and 2, rather chapter 2, he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind. And then he goes on to Tell these Christians what it means of, uh, to be of the same mind, to be united. He goes on and on. Verse 4, he says that each of you not look only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Uh, so he's quoting this hymn of Christ in a context where he's calling Christians to a certain type of mindset. And if we get caught up in some of the questions that uh, have been asked over the years, like what does Paul mean that Christ emptied himself? Very important question. We're not going to dwell on that this morning. Uh, if we dwell on those debates, we might forget what Paul is actually calling these Christians to. Have a look at verse 5. This is what he says. 
have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He's calling them to a different mindset uh, that we see in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, He's reminding them of what Jesus has done so that it can radically transform what they do. So here's a summary. If you sleep or you're thinking about the Christmas lunch um, later on in the year, who you're going to have at your table, this is the summary of what we're going to say. God, what what does it boil down to? It boils down to this, that God became human to make us better humans. God became human to make us better humans. And if you think that sounds a bit heretic, uh, I'm not the first one to say this. Uh, a black guy, short black guy by the name of St. Athanasius of Alexandria, he is one of the most influential uh, Christian thinkers, if not the, uh, Christian, uh, the, the most influential uh, Christian thinker. Uh, he was from Egypt. He was uh, called the black, black dwarf. Um, this is what he has to say. This is the man who shaved uh, thinking of uh, Christology, Christology being the study of, of Christ. This is what Athanasius says. He says, He that is God became what we are so that he might make us what he is. Let me say that again. He became what we are so that he might make us what he is. Same thing that I'm saying, just simpler. He says it better, better than me. God became human to make us better humans. So two quick points. One, God became human. Two, to make us better humans. Um, and I'm just going to alert you to this. Uh, in the Christ hymn, one of the things that you see is this U shape. So think of a U going down and up. On the one hand, we have God who is eternal, who is sovereign, who does not need human beings. And this God takes on human flesh. As one poet says, he says that he took on human skin to come deal with our sin. Okay, ah, down we go on this graph. Not only does he take on human flesh, but he takes on humiliation. He dies. Can you imagine the author of life dying? That's what God does in Jesus. Not only does he die, but he dies the most humiliating death, a death on the Roman cross. Uh, the Roman cross was saying to anyone who'd be looking at Jesus that this guy thought he was king, but look at him now. That is God. He takes on human flesh, he dies a death on the cross. But the story, the Christian story does not end there. He dies for sinners on the cross, but God in his mighty power resurrects him and he gives him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow down. Uh, So you see this uh, progression from glory to humility back to glory. This is what uh, one of the the most helpful um, visual commentaries on YouTube, the Bible Project, uh, says about this downward progression. It says that uh, this section in the Bible, it artistically retells the story of the Messiah's incarnation, his life, his death, resurrection, and exaltation, then in each of these veneers, these pictures, Paul will take up a key, key word or ideas from that poem to show how living as a Christian means seeing your own story as a lived expression of Jesus' story. So that you story is a lived expression 
of what the Christian life should look like. And that's what's happening here in Philippians chapter 2. Paul is calling these Christians uh, to adopt a certain mindset. Because of what Jesus has done for them, they ought to adopt this mindset of humility. Because God became human, because God humbled himself, he took on human skin to deal with our sin. The king became a servant. Johann Rupert became the pick-it-up guy. Can you just think about that for a minute? Patrice Mutsepe came to your house and did the loan for you. That's just a small picture of even beginning to imagine what it means that God took on human flesh to deal with your sin and my sin. It's unheard of. And yet Paul is calling Christians that because of that, that should be the mark of the Christian life. We should be marked with humility. I like what um, these guys called humble beast uh, put it. They are poets. Um, They say, I wish Blair could rap this out. I'm going to give it my best shot. I'm not rapping. I'm reading. (laughs) It says, all other kings are finite beings confined by worldly things. Self-saving men who make decrees, mortal beings with borrowed breath, those who through the curse swallowed sin and taste death, but there was a heavenly king who sinlessly sits enthroned sovereignly above the time and space of all earthly things, a glorious king whose cosmic crown is covered in constant constellations, who receives the greatest praise while angels gaze in awe and adoration, this king of kings is kind, is the kind of king who was kind to mankind, who leaves behind his divine throne to pursue his own, who splits his flesh across the bloody cross to cover the infinite cost of sin that once cost us. This infinite king became human. First point, to make us better humans. This Christmas, what God is calling us to is a life of humility. What, what Tim Keller says about humility, I, I love it so much. He says that the, the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. God is calling us this Christmas to remember all that Jesus has done in all his glory. He did not need to come here. He could have held on to his privilege of being God. He did not do that. He let go of that privilege and came into our world so as to save sinners like you and me. And because he's done that and brought us into his family, that ought to change the way we live. It ought to make us better humans. It ought to make us people of humility as we remember what Jesus has done. Now, if you are married and your wife says, remember to get the milk, what does that mean? It doesn't mean you mentally remember that. It means you go out there and buy the milk, doesn't it? Uh, Because there will be trouble afterwards. (laughs) And in the same way, remembering for us, as we remember Jesus this Christmas morning, it's not so much the mental remembrance, but it is realigning all of our lives with what Jesus is, who God is, what he has done. Let that shape us who we are and what we continue to do uh, in this world. It takes intentionality 
to do that, doesn't it? And the same intentionality we have when we prepare the Christmas lunch we are going to invite uh, to the table, that same intentionality uh, should be used in how we live the Christian life. And the same intentionality we take to decorate our house is the same intentionality we need to use in decorating our lives with humility. Amen. As I look across, uh, perhaps you are a married person. What would it look like for you to decorate your life and your marriage with humility? My prayer is that pride will never prevail in marriages at Christchurch Midrand, uh, that we would be people marked with humility. And maybe this Christmas, as you remember what Jesus has done, uh, you ought to, as a spouse, be humble. And maybe humility looks like saying, I'm going to just humble myself one more time. One more time I'm going to say, I'm sorry. Last Christmas I made it all about me. We had fights about where we're going to share, when we're going to have the Christmas. Was it your family or my family? And you know how I don't like your family. But this Christmas, this Christmas I'm going to be about you. I'm going to humble myself in the same way that my Lord humbled himself. That is what it means to look not into your own interests, but to the interests of others. That is what it means to humble ourselves. Perhaps you want to decorate your relationship with your kid, your teenage child, with humility. What would that look like to do that? Perhaps you've been fighting with them, uh, they're at that stage where they kind of steal your child, but they think they're adults, and you just don't know how to react to them, how to raise them, uh, and it's just been chaos. You're not looking forward to Christmas lunch uh, because things are a bit awkward. How many of you have been there? You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> Maybe uh, remembering the humility of Jesus means uh, to adorn yourself and lead with humility. Invite the teenager to steak. They have the best one at Casabella. They don't pay me for advertising. I just, I just share because it's amazing. Uh, or take them for ribs at Smoke Daddy's. They have a special on Tuesday. And just sit with them and say, I'm so sorry. Uh, I didn't want to control you. I want to be for you. And I love you so much. Please let me know what it might look like for me to be in your corner. Perhaps it's your own parent. Are you just finding the relationship difficult? They send you a message saying, are you coming over for Christmas? You just blue tick them because you know you don't want to go to that Christmas lunch. Maybe humility looks like this. Maybe humility is that I know I've said all I, I, I've said. I know that they don't listen, but I'm going to humble myself once again. I'm going to text them this afternoon and say, I'm coming over for Christmas. Perhaps that's what humility looks like for you. Whatever it is, as we remember Jesus, uh, his humble life, exalted as God, did not hold on to his privilege as God, but humbled himself to death. He came to die. He was born to die. A death on the cross for sinners. You and me, God exalted him, gave him a name that is above every name. May that be the shape of your Christian life. And we cannot do it apart from his help. So why don't we pray together uh, these words that come from our collect uh, in the prayer book. 
And this word that captures what Paul is saying here, especially the verses that we didn't read afterwards, um, the verses uh, that talks about uh, the life of a Christian, uh, these words are a prayer. So we're going to pray it uh, together. I'm just going to, I hope you can see it. Um, I'm going to pray it first so that you know what we're praying, and I'm going to ask you to join with me. It says, Almighty God, give us grace that we may cast away the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now in the time of this, now in the time of this mortal life, in which your son Jesus Christ came among us in great humility, that on the last day, when he comes again in his glorious majesty to judge the living and the dead, we may rise to the, to the life immortal through him who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit now and forever. Let's pray those words um, together as we ask for God's help. Almighty God, give us grace that we may cast away the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now in the time of this mortal life in which your son Jesus Christ came among us in great humility that on the last day when he comes again in his glorious majesty to judge the living and the dead, we may rise to life immortal through him who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen. Let me pray for us. Thank you, Jesus, for coming. Thank you that we can celebrate this Christmas period and to remember all that you have done. I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would reshape our lives, that if we do not believe in you, we'd come to the end of ourselves in humility and embrace you as our Lord and as our King. I pray for those who have embraced you as Lord and King, that we would be empowered to live that way, that indeed you will be our King, that indeed we will follow you, indeed we will follow your example. I pray that you would rid us of any sin and brokenness uh, that would uh, blow up pride in our hearts and in our minds. And I pray that you'd give us the spirit of humility this Christmas. Father, there's been so many challenges throughout this year, but I pray that even in those, you would help us to be people who are humble. Thank you that you became human so that we can be better humans. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.